0: The Covenant Podcast is brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are confessional, Baptist, affordable, accessible, and accredited. Stay tuned for more information about CBTS or head on over to their website at cbtseminary.org. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Today
1: we want to welcome Rex Simrod to the podcast. Rex became a Christian in 1994, and shortly thereafter attended Bible college. While attending this Bible college, which was Armenian in its persuasion, he came to love the doctrines of grace. After being introduced to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, he wholeheartedly embraced it. He loved spending time with his wife, Marion, and his eight wonderful children. He serves Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary as the administrator, among other roles. Welcome to the podcast, Rex.
2: Glad to be here.
0: Rex, today uh, we want to talk about theological education and uh, the school that you are the administrator at, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. So with that said, what is the importance of theological education?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, when I think about theological education, the first thing that comes to mind is 2 Timothy two two, where um, Paul instructs Timothy that the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so if someone is to be a faithful man who's going to teach others, he need, first needs to be willing to be taught. The whole... Uh, You know, it's far too common today for people to think, oh, all I I need is me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Um, That sounds pious on the surface, but it's really ignoring the fact that the Holy Spirit has been teaching His people for 2,000 years, and we ought to be standing on their shoulders, not starting from fresh. And so uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, Secondly, I'd say... It's important to be grounded in the, all the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, to get a well-rounded, not a lopsided um, understanding of the Bible and theology. Uh, if, if you just depend on your own training yourself, your reading, you know, the sermons you've heard, um, you're likely, very likely, not to be well-rounded and to have some big gaps in, in your theology that can cause problems. And also it's important, it helps keep people, uh, pastors from novelty and error because they, the theological, theological education will ground them in the, the, the theology of the Bible has as been understood by the church for the last 2,000 years.
1: Um, Rex, why should—and uh, you kind of already covered this, so there's going to be several questions in, in this. It's, it says, why should the pastor consider formal training at a seminary, and in what ways would it benefit him, and how does theological training benefit the church in particular? Or put differently, why should a church be so concerned about their, their pastors having formal theological training?
2: Formal theological training is really important. Um, it's important to learn from other men who've had decades of ministerial um, experience. It's one of the primary reasons you, to get a formal theological education rather than just something informal. Um, you know, it's, it, it, uh, it's much more comprehensive than just reading and listening to sermons and lectures. Um, In fact, I I would, I have a tremendous amount of informal theological education. I was a sheet metal worker for about a decade and was able to listen to uh, theology books, uh, seminary lectures and sermons for 40, 50 hours a week for years. And I got a tremendous amount of theological knowledge from that, but it, it that in and of itself is not near as, as important as something more formal. Uh, just think about it, preparing for exams. Rather, if you're just listening to things, you can remember what you can remember. If you have to prepare for examinations over the things, it, it really solidifies those things more in your heart and your mind. Um, And writing theological papers forces one to think through issues logically and comprehensively and helps them to learn how to communicate truth to others. And so I, I would say having a strong undergirding of a systematic theology that's been properly informed by an exegetical theology, biblical theology, and historical theology is absolutely necessary for a truly sound and biblical practical theology. I mean, in the church level, you're dealing with practical theology, how, how a pastor is to shepherd the sheep, how he's to preach them, how he's to feed them, how he's to counsel them. And shepherding Christ's dear sheep in a manner that glorifies our Lord is what's most needed in the church. But these a, a good systematic theology has to undergird that or, it's, or you're going to be lacking things in the ministry.
0: You kind of alluded to this in your first answer to the first question, but what is the importance of maintaining a confessional identity, both in the local church and at the seminary level?
2: Uh, yeah, well, like I said, Christ's been building His church throughout the centuries. And so the reason we love the Second London Baptist Confes- Confession of Faith of sixteen eighty nine is it's built upon a myriad of worthy theological voices of the past, and again it preserves us from the whims of novelty. Um, you realize the the sixteen eighty nine. It's not really a, a particularly Baptist confession; it's an orthodox Christian confession. That, ha- that includes Baptist distinctives. And for instance, chapter seven of London Baptist Confession of Faith on, uh, on the covenants, there's nothing in that chapter that any Presbyterian shouldn't be willing to confess. It's just Orthodox Christianity. It's not simply that the Baptists decided to come up with some, uh, write down their doctrines. They, were stand- they recognized that they were standing on the shoulders of those who went before them. And so the Confession of Faith is, is just a broad orthodoxy that happens to include Baptist distinctives, um, and while we do believe those distinctives are extremely important. And so while we don't believe that the progress of dogma ended in the 17th century, we still feel that the, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith is the best succinct and yet robust confession that accurately and systematically represents that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, as far as the church goes, really, in many ways, the weaker the church's confession, the weaker the church is going to be. The more robustly a church can agree on a broad uh, theological basis, the stronger that church is going to be.
1: Let's transition a little bit here and begin talking about Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We we love Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. In fact, the church I serve has just become a partner recently, so it, it's exciting to talk to you about this. So just recently, um, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary gained accreditation. Can Can you talk to us a little bit about that process and what— Exactly that means and and why it's significant.
2: Yeah, well first, of all, I will tell you it was a lot of work, um, but it was definitely worthwhile. and the Lord <laughs> he brought providential help um, in amazing ways. I, I got it we we the seminary, uh, board voted to go forward in seeking this accreditation. We filed our application. That application got accepted. And but th- at this this time the seminary is continuously growing. Um and so my workload is getting heavier and heavier. And Dr. Walter and I sit down about four or five months into this process and we're like, how in the world are we going to find find time to get through all this well providentially we had a student whose name is kyle kirby who was pastoring a church that because the because of trouble regarding certain members of the church revolting against the doctrines of grace um, this church ended up um, firing um, their pastor and Kyle had already been helping us a little bit because we knew previous to becoming a full-time pastor, he used to, uh, he worked for a Christian trade school and had helped them through the accreditation process actually three times. And so we'd already been asking him questions about accreditation, but here he is in the situation where suddenly he's out of a job and God providentially brought the financial means and, and so we were actually able to bring him on and he came and worked for us full time for several months, um, helping us get through the bulk of what we needed to do. And then he stayed on working one day a week until the whole process was finished. Um, so God really providentially um, upheld us and helped us work through the whole thing. But uh, one thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is that everything that we went through to achieve the accreditation actually made us a better institution and enabled us to serve our students better. Now going into it, you know, we had some reservations because, you know, while certain accreditors quite frankly want you to do things that are not going to make you a better institution or require things that simply aren't something to make you better. They've got their own little reasons for things. But thankfully, the you know the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries, which is an independent accreditation uh, body, um, they really are about the old-fashioned type of accreditation, where it's peer, peer review to determine that your school is academically credible, and since there are the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries that are actually determining that you're actually truly confessional and faithful to your confession as well. And so the process, as though difficult it was at times, uh, it, was, it was really a joy to get through it all and to work with the people at arts uh, was really great. Now, arts accreditation is not the same thing as um, U.S. Department of Ed education uh, or accreditation. It, that form of accreditation base, basically has become nothing more than, on the one hand, it's the gateway to enable a school to receive federal funds. But always what always goes hand in hand with receiving federal funds is the federal government thinks they can tell you what to do. And so we we have not gone that route. We are determined never to go that route. But the, one of the th- neat things, uh, or the things that are looking good for the future of arts, is they are seeking um, Chia recognition. And Chia is the Council of Higher Education Accreditation. So they're they're kind of in, they're an international accreditor of accreditors um, that are very um, well. Uh, esteemed, they're they're really the top of of the line, or really uh, a good good organization. And the thing about Chia is, we don't think we have to worry about future um, social engineering type things that we're worried about with the U.S. Department of Ed, because Chia actually accredits a large number of Muslim uh, schools and they're not going to put up with uh, <laughs> social engineering. So um, it, it, the future is looking really good for arts, and the whole accreditation process was really a uh, benefit to CBTS, and especially to our students.
0: Uh, other than accreditation, can you tell our listeners about the benefits of CBTS? Uh, what distinguishes CBTS from other seminaries? And why should someone attend CBTS?
2: Well, first thing I would say is we are intensively Christ-focused. Um, one of the, one of the things that uh, is thankfully um, being more and more recognized, I think, today is that Christ is the scope of Scripture, meaning that everything in the entire Word of God is pointing toward Christ in one way or another. And that's, that's been our attitude from the very beginning. And so whatever class you're teaching, we, we, we teach it in a Christ-centered, Christ-focused manner. Uh, another very important distinctive, especially in, in today's environment, is that we are law-gospel-centered. Understanding the law and the gospel from the reformed perspective where you actually, I I get before I became reformed, one of the things that drove me crazy in evangelical churches is even in the best churches I'd find where the pastor would actually preach that Christians should seek to mortify sin, that sin is not something you should be indulging in. They would still never define sin. Sin was just some bad thing that everyone knew they were supposed to avoid, and they were thankful they'd been forgiven for. The law, the reformed view of the law is the law being that which, how do you know what sin is? It's a transgression of the law. And so in understanding that the gospel is completely apart from the law, and we're saved by grace through faith, and yet we are to live in conformity to the law, not in order to be saved, but in order to show our gratitude for the one who saved us. Uh, That is an important distinction in in our day. In in fact, very interestingly, Tom Askell just came and taught on the biblical uh, assessment of the social justice movement. And one of the biggest issues, the reason that is making so much traction is because so many evangelical churches have lost a biblical view of the law. And so they're letting, they're letting the culture define what sin is. And so things that aren't actually sin are being called sin and things that are actually sin are not being called sin. And so the law and gospel distinction is very important uh, now more than ever. Um, You know, another thing, our motto is an informed scholarship with a pastoral heart. And that is what you get. We've, uh, our professors are informed they' they they know their scholarship they know what they're teaching but it's always taught with a pastoral heart our, our professors have been pastors of churches for decades and and so it's it's never uh cold ivory tower theology it's it's always okay this this is the truth and this is how It should affect the people in your congregation. Uh, Another um, aspect of CBTS that I like to draw attention to is, is balance. You know, if you look at the history of the church and the heresies and the errors, you look almost every time, every error or heresy is an overreaction to another one. And so balance is incredibly important, especially in theology. And two of the most balanced men I've ever known in my life are our two primary professors. Dr. Sam Waldron, our systematic and historical theology professor and president of the seminary, is extremely balanced in his systematic theology and his historical theology. Um, His his class on hyper-Calvinism is a great example of that. And Fred Malone, our um, pastoral theology primary professor, is just a, a fine, balanced theologian who's, I mean, not only has been he been a pastor for decades, but he's really been known as a pastor to pastors. He's been helping counsel so many pastors for so long that he is just a, a very helpful and balanced individual, and, and we really praise God that we have these men teaching for us. And of course, obviously, we've already been talking about how we're confessional. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you have to fully embrace our confession of faith to become a student. It means that everything, that confession is really the backbone of everything we teach. And you're not going to be uh, running, you're not going to be taught anything that is contrary to the confession. I know back when I went to Bible college, I knew a lot of guys who stayed. I've known a lot of guys in se- going over the years, have gone to seminaries where they knew that, there, that those seminaries had some theological issues, but they would say to me, oh, I'm just going to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say that I've seen way too many of those guys choke on some of the bones. Um, it's really important to actually have a good, solid foundation in, in, in the theology of the school and especially... It all being confessional, all the professors are on the same page. You're not at some place where you've got one Arminian professor and one Calvinist professor and one Almiraldian professor. And, and you're trying to decide which one to follow. I mean, it's me having this confessional unity is a great asset. And then on a more practical level, distance education is a, uh, is what we offer. I mean, we do have some residential students that were primarily distance education, because not everyone can afford to pack up their family and move to seminary. Um, And we've, we've now, technology has enabled us to offer this theological education without you having to or what especially it's good for men who are already in the ministry and and they'd have to leave their church to go to seminary. Otherwise, well, they can stay in their church. And, and that's the other thing. This is for, especially in smaller churches, it's bothered me my entire Christian life where you get a small church and you recognize there's a man that God is gifting and, and he's got the grace to become a minister of the gospel And so what does the church do? They send him away and he never comes back. (laughs) This way men can stay, be mentored by their own pastor in the church they're in, and still get a solid theological education. And then another very practical thing is affordability. We, uh, Well, one of the main reasons, because we operate the way we do, and we don't have to have a faculty of full-time professors, we have guys come; they teach a class for us. We pay them for that, and we pay them again when they come teach again. Um, we're a- able to um, provide theological education much cheaper than typically. Our tuition is seventy-five dollars a credit hour. Um, that's that's almost impossible to beat. Um, so, I mean, I could go on. I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> those those are. I mean. If, I'm going to throw out some primary reasons that I would uh, suggest people look at CBTS. Uh, I'd say those are some top ones.
1: Thank you for that. Um, can you tell us about how, you had mentioned you have some residential students. Can, can you tell us how live classes work at CBTS and and maybe give our audience some details about the upcoming live course with Dr. Tom Nettles?
2: yeah yeah well we we actually offer classes uh three different ways um we do have semester length evening classes every semester um but it's only a handful uh, all our biblical language our elementary biblical language courses are in the evenings um and their semester length along with a couple other courses um but, and we use uh, Zoom video conferencing software for those. So the students who are can c- come in from the distance, use a video conferencing software. It, we found it works a lot better than just streaming and having a chat box. But during the Q&A, the que- students can ask questions to the professor and get live interaction. Um, we, we really like that. Um, with the exception of the biblical language courses once a course is completely taught it well it takes some work to get it ready but when we put it up on what we call CBTS pathway which is where st- students take a lot of their classes um it's it's not um structured like the live classes we we it's structured in that it's put th- you go through the class step by step but you don't have the deadlines in a live class, you're going to know I've got to take a quiz by next Tuesday. Uh, on the pathway, you just know my next step is a quiz, and I've got a deadline for the whole class. But then we also offer three times a year modular courses, like the one we're going to be having coming up with uh, Dr. Tom Nettles. And for the modular courses, we teach an entire class over three to five, a three-to-five-day period. It would be eight lectures a day. If it's a two-credit hour class, it'll be over three days. If it's a three-credit hour class, it'll be over five days. We always have one the first week in January, one on Memorial Day weekend, one over Labor Day weekend. We do the, the Memorial Day and Labor Day to help people be able to come without missing as much work if they're uh, because of the holidays there. Um, but uh, the students will come. They'll go through all the lectures in that period of time, and then they'll have 60 days after the class is over to complete the writing and reading assignments. Um, I'm really excited about this coming up with Tom Nettles. It's uh, Jonathan Edwards and Andrew Fuller. Um, it was actually the idea to have a class with, uh, uh, with Edwards and Fuller together was actually um, Dr. Haken's idea. But he ended up um, with scheduling conflicts. We ended up um, asking Dr. Nettles to teach it for us, and I'm really excited uh, about it. I, when he agreed to do it, I said, now, uh, there are two things I want to make sure you actually address here. Number one is, was Jonathan Edwards responsible for New England theology, as he's often accused of today? And what was Fuller's actual view of the atonement? because there's lots of arguments about that today. And he said both of those things were things he had already determined to cover. So uh, this, this uh, promises to be a really interesting class that'll answer a lot of our questions.
0: Rex, uh, as the administrator of CBTS, I'm interested what your responsibilities consist of. (laughs) I know you do a lot, so I'm interested to know. Yeah,
2: well, yeah, I uh, um, I don't teach any classes, and pretty much everything else, <laughs> I'm, I I'm, I, I, I've got certain roles. I'm, for instance, I'm the dean of students. Um, when students have questions on what class should I take next, or uh, often just want counsel on. Uh, how to move forward, or even a lot of times they're having issues in their church, they want advice, or, you know, what my financial situation is this, what do you think I should do? So I'm, I'm the primary person that students interact with when they're, they've got questions regarding their seminary or, or, or things of that nature. But I'm also the IT administrator, which means I'm the one who figures out what we're going to use to record our classes. I'm in charge of getting up them up online. Um, I, I set up our learning management system and basically keep everything online running smoothly, as well as constantly updating that material. Um, I'm the director of admissions. So I'm the person people talk to, and they've got questions about... Um, Applying to CBTS. Uh, I also so I go to a lot of conferences and and promote CBTS and things like that. Sometimes speak at churches about CBTS. Um, I'm the marketing and media director, uh, which honestly, with as busy as I've gotten in the last couple of years that that's uh, probably where I've dropped the ball the most because I'm, I'm I can't let these other things um, fall behind, but that was something. But thankfully uh, we have just recently started uh, in the middle of October. We've hired an assistant administrator, Bryce Bigham, who has already jumped in as helping a lot in the marketing and media um, as well as other places. basically, He's going to work with me for the next six months or so while I train him to do everything. And once we've gotten a feel for what, how best to divide um, the roles, we will. So thankfully, I'm not actually doing everything myself anymore. When I, when I started, I think we had 47 students and we're pushing 150 now. And I've still got and we've had 20 applications in the last month or so. Um, so it's, this job has gotten tougher and tougher. And I'm also the registrar and the treasurer. Um, but like I said, thankfully, um, help, help has arrived, and I will not be the only one doing all of these things for long.
1: Wow, that is a lot. Um, as a confessional seminary, what are some of the favorite or your favorite courses that are offered at CBTS that someone might not get the opportunity to take at other institutions.
2: Well, first thing that springs to mind is Origins of Baptist Covenant Theology from with Sam Renahan. I I can't tell you how much money I would have paid to get that twenty years ago. He, his his study. Of things that weren't available to us until recently, that literally were unavailable for centuries, and, and and now that that was the most joyous class to sit through, and I've gone through it more than once since we went through it. That, that that's that's the first top thing that springs to mind. That was just such an awesome class, um, and then you know just recently. Tom Askell's uh, biblical assessment of social justice. Uh, unfortunately, you know that it seems like the majority of seminaries right now are going the opposite direction of what they should be. And uh, I got to tell you, when when we uh, when when we started seeing how big the social justice movement was actually starting to have effects in churches that we know. Um, and we thought, you know, we, maybe we should get, a church, uh, a, have, get somebody to teach a class on this. I asked uh, Dr. Askell, the primary reason he was the most accessible person we knew, and he agreed to teach it. But after sitting through the class, I don't think we could have gotten anyone better to teach it. He, was, he, he knows that subject far well, we didn't know the subject well enough to know how well he knew it when we asked him. But I, there, there really isn't anyone better than we could have gotten. That was just a fantastic class. Um, Fred Malone's Reformed Baptist Covenant Theology class is uh, excellent. Um, Hyper Calvinism, the free offer of the gospel—that's something you're not going to find in most seminaries. But even even things that you can have a similar class. In other seminaries, like biblical theology and hermeneutics, I, I honestly don't think there's a better instructor uh, for biblical theology or hermeneutics today than Richard Barcellus, I mean, and and his classes are just gold. Um, and historical theology, I mean, we it's here. It's not just church history it's historical theology. You're you're watching Christ build his church and seeing how he brings out doctoral development and Dr. Waldron's especially historical theology one course where it's not simply, I mean, yes, it is the early church history and the development of doctrine over that period, but it's really also a whole perspective on how to address church history is something uh, I don't think you're going to find anything better anywhere else. And, uh, uh, and, you know, our whole systematic theology curriculum, I mean, we we are very systematics heavy compared to most other seminaries. Um, and, but, you know, everyone's familiar with Dr. Waldron's exposition in the 1689. Well, that, you know, that's just kind of brushing the surface. Um, the systematic theology curriculum delves deep more deeply into all those areas of systematic theology. Uh, So, uh, but I still, I cannot, I cannot recommend Sam Renahan's class enough. It's everyone, everyone should at least audit that class.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been uh, discussing our way through theological education, and we're very grateful for you taking all of your time to come on here and talk with us. And as we wind down this conversation, uh, I want to ask you, what would you say to some of those in the universal church that consistently suppress the importance of theological education? How can we lovingly encourage them and teach them the importance of ministerial training?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess that really goes right back to where we started. Paul commanded Timothy to find faithful men and teach them so they could teach others. I mean, that's what a theological education is. It's it's obeying that command. And if if you're truly a faithful man who you feel is being called by God to teach others, if you're not willing to be taught by other faithful men first, that's that's a huge red flag. Um, and and again. I would lovingly try to show them that the Holy Spirit doesn't start afresh every generation. He has been teaching his church. Christ has been building his church through the work of the Spirit, helping his church understand the scriptures for thousands of years. And we we need to recognize that. And then when we're standing on, on the shoulders of those men, And it's not that we simply, oh, it came before us, it must be right. Sometimes standing on their shoulders enables us to see things where they might have been wrong. But at the same time, it keeps us from just rejecting things and and starting from scratch. Come on, everybody knows it doesn't make sense. Um, Not if you actually believe that Christ has been building his church for thousands of years and uh, as he promised to do, um, and and also it's the importance of being grounded in the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. I mean, how often do you see well-meaning pastors who there's no question that they're godly men who love their flock and they love Jesus. But because they've not been grounded, they fall into various errors um, and end up hurting their, the sheep that they love. They end up hurting the people they're trying to help. And and again, I, I, I would warn against novelty. If, if you come across something, you start believing the Bible teaches something that no one else has thought of for 2,000 years, chances are you— should shut your mouth and not tell anybody about it.
1: <laughs> Rex, we just want to thank you for coming on and, and talking with us about theological education. So thank you very
0: much.
2: Oh, the pleasure all mine.
0: As always, this episode is brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Head on over to their website at cbtseminary.org to learn more about them. Thank you for listening to The Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like The Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.